I've actually been involved with work experience and workplace for a very long time, because in 1988, when I was a deputy head in a school in Tower Hamlets, my school was one of the first schools in London to introduce work experience. We did so before it was actually a mandatory feature of the national curriculum. And actually, over the next few years, I was carried on with that interest, drifted away from schools, worked for various organisations, including something that people with a long memory may recall of a <coughs> training enterprise councils, and eventually made my way to the Institute of Education, where I started as a researcher with a programme which was looking at work-based learning. Um, and really, the whole interface between education and work, whether it be further education to higher education, further education to work, or higher education to employment, is where I've been focusing on ever since. Uh, <coughs> so this is a little sweeping background as to why I first became interested in the whole issue of the relationship between education and work. The presentation today, which um, I at this point need to thank Richard and Helen for the invitation, um, it's based on some research that I've actually um, just completed on internship in the creative and finance sectors, and I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, <coughs> there are two main reasons why I actually became interested in internship, a professional one and a personal one. Professionally, I've been actually researching the creative industries for quite some years, and one of the um, features of moving into the industry that I noticed quite some years back, almost 10 years ago, long before internship became a term that was used quite so frequently in the press, uh, and often in rather disparaging ways, and I'll come back to that point in a moment, um, was that actually <coughs> access to the creative industries was through internship, or some form of often unpaid work experience. But the other thing is that when I started researching the industry, what I often found was that <coughs> it was very difficult to differentiate uh, <coughs> in the industry between somebody who's doing a work experience placement um, from a college, somebody who's doing a work experience placement from a university, or somebody who's doing an internship post-graduation. Because they were effectively, the employer didn't differentiate between the work they gave them, and I found that quite intriguing. So I thought we might have to take a look, actually, at the internship and looking more closely. Um, the personal reason, I have two daughters, both of whom did fine art degrees, and of course they've done a lot of internships find their direction. So the two things kind of came together quite nicely. Right, where's that coming from? <coughs> oh, sorry, not too far. So there's an argument I'm going to make, okay, um, which is actually up on the screen, which I won't read through, because I think hopefully it's kind of quite clear, but I'll just pick out the salient features. Is that internship, as many of you I'm sure are aware, has been demonised by in the UK press. And I'm going to come on and talk a little bit about that in a moment. But actually, I think the problem is that the term internship is used unproblematically. There's not enough, what do we mean by the term? A particular definition hangs over the term, unpaid, exploitative work experience. And what I'm gonna to do today is draw a line between that, which I'll call unpaid, exploitative work experience, and some internship schemes that we research, which are very different, as you'll hear in a moment. <coughs> I want to contrast those two show how people learn through internship, then come on to talk about the relationship between the learning and internship and placements in higher education, and then end up with some conclusions for research and policy. 
Uh, <coughs> so the first part was a little bit of context setting. I'm going to skip through because I suspect people are kind of probably familiar with it, and then I'll sort of slow down um, when I get into the kind of the, 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 the kind of the, the newer parts of the, the presentation. Um, there's basically very divided views in the UK, but there are two views. Okay, there's the bad view that says internship is all those things that's it's mentioned there by a bunch of quite famous people or organisations. But there's also a view. Uh, and in fact, in the latest biz document, David Wilkes has come return to this. The internship is actually quite important. And there's a recognition that it is a way. But what you look at when you read actually how the different <coughs> advocates <coughs> or critics of internship are using terms, they're looking at something that's quite different, even though they're using the same term to describe it. And we need to kind of do a little bit more kind of terminological kind of. <coughs> Uh, disentangling in order to get a, a better sense of, of what's, what's being described. But the question I think it's important to ask is why do these different views exist? Okay, And <clears throat> what I would want to argue is that the reporting of internship, which effectively presents it as something that if you've got connections allows you to have advanced standing to get into work compared with somebody that hasn't got connections, distorts <coughs> actually what internship is. But more importantly, thank you very much, uh, it clashes with people's sense of fair play. So even if you've never had any experience with internship, you must automatically kind of say to yourself, well, actually, well, that sounds a bit mean, that sounds a bit unfair. Okay. But I think there's another reason, which is less apparent, but I want to draw your attention to, as to why people are vexed about internship. And it's what I've called the legacy of the traditional model of recruitment, okay? And this legacy leads people to think that internships distort distorting the recruitment process and generating unfair outcomes. Now, <clears throat> I want to talk to you now about the, the two sectors, and I'm then going to come back to that point, so you can see in a moment what I mean about the legacy of the um, traditional notion of recruitment. I conducted the research on internship with one of my colleagues at work, Anne Heath. We looked at two sectors, the creative sector and finance, and we defined finance as banking and professional service companies. The obvious difference is the finance sector has far more large companies and the creative sector has far more SMEs. And so we're interested in that dynamic. Okay. <coughs> but the similarity is really what we're interested in. It's that in both sectors, work is organised increasingly in a common way. And we've used the term from uh, Gernot Grabner's uh, work that it's a, the sectors are organised around projects or project teams. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Okay, so. But uh, they tend to be the principle of organising work, and I'm going to explain how work is organised and how interns are positioned to learn in those project teams in a moment. But the other issue about project teams is they tend to be interprofessional. Okay. So <coughs> it means sometimes they can be just with modest mix of interprofessionals, sometimes they can be quite broad based. So to <coughs> for those of you less familiar with that idea, to give an example, let's say you're working in a bank, and you're investment banking. You may be attached to an investment team, but there's two senses of them, those teams being interprofessional. First, they'll come from very different degree backgrounds, even if they're doing the same work. So they're positioned to look at the work quite differently, and they reason from one another rather differently. The other way that they're different is that there's all these kind of specialisms within the, the team, and then the teams relate to other teams. So in a sense, you're never left on your own. So that classic notion that we've got, that you become a professional by working with people just like you, is not actually true. And in some cases, it gets even, the spread of professions becomes even bigger. Um, <coughs> now, this is coming back to the point about what companies are doing with internships. Okay. 
so you can see why the legacy of the traditional notion kind of lingers. Because people tend to think there'll be a job that's advertised, which somebody at the point of graduating, whether it be a first degree or a second degree, will apply for the recruitment process and will gain the job. And even though we probably heard and have some of our own experiences, it's not like that. And that idea tends to dominate people's thinking. But what's happened in many companies in those two sectors that I've just described is they've extended the recruitment process beyond the interview to see people in action. And they do that through an internship. And <clears throat> the internships can be offered in the summer holiday of the, after the second year of an undergraduate degree or between the first and second year of an MA or an MSc. If it's a PhD student, it can be offered, you know, again, depending <coughs> on how the grant plays out. Okay. Why are the companies doing that? Because they actually want to enculturate successful students into the workplace cultures so they start ahead of the curve. So they see the internship basically as starting the process and the development of expertise, but in company and kind of occupationally specific ways, not generically. That's the point I'll come back to. Now, <clears throat> what Anne and I did discern from our research basically was two kinds of project teams interprofessional project teams. One we called working with clients, which you describe as being semi-open, and the one that we've said is working for clients, which is we called open. <coughs> what do we mean by that? Coming back to the, the, the sectors where we looked, in the investment companies, the banks in particular, but not professional service companies, I'll use those as a contrast in that, they tend to be working with clients. <coughs> so in other words, they've, a client has actually asked them to invest money on their behalf and there was then a reporting process, it could be three monthly, six months or whatever, where the client is feeding back actually on the performance. So the team isn't just being judged by how it's doing in its own terms, but also the feedback from the client. But working, that's working with the client. Working for the client means that the client works with you through the process of the work you're doing. So for example, <coughs> professional service companies contract maybe to help, <coughs> we've had them at these students recently, perhaps some of you in your universities as well, where <coughs> they're designed to come in and work with key staff or get the kind of directorate level to think about how to change the direction strategically, operationally of a university. And what's actually happening there is that the members of the senior team are working quite regularly on a weekly basis sometimes on a daily basis with the team. And so the professional service company and, and staff from my university, which they're currently doing at the moment, are constantly kind of reshaping what was the original remit that the professional service company had to actually change, <coughs> sorry, to, 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 to secure the contract, to changes through the life of the contract. So if you're working <coughs> with the client, then you're getting constant feedback from the client. And that's a rather different work set of conditions. But if that's true for people who are at work, experienced, imagine what it's like for an intern who's entering into those two contexts. It gives them a really big challenge in terms of actually how they start to deploy the knowledge and skill they really have, but also how they learn to develop that knowledge and skill further. <coughs> so the way Anne and I contrasted it was to say that semi-open teams tend to have arm's length relationships with clients. Okay? And what I've done here, I'm going to explain what the TTTs and RTAs are because I, uh, in, a, in a second. Uh, 
Um, but um, they're two slightly different processes, okay? Uh, perhaps I should have put another slide in. I, I took one out, maybe it's one too many. Sometimes when you do this, you have to think again about it. Anyway, but in semi-open teams, semi-open teams are not always working face-to-face. -face. They're often working in a distributed way where people use internet resources to liaise with one another. And what we noticed was with these teams, that if they're working face-to-face, -face, the classic transfer and transmission models, which is what we call the three T's, tend to work, where you're talking to somebody, you're trying to get a sense of what they say, you're trying to transfer knowledge, and so forth. If you're working distributively, you use the websites to post <coughs> information, documents, reports, ongoing, if you're working on software development, parts of the software that you're working on for other members of the team to comment on and do further work. So it's a much more distributed process. So that hence the sort of sense that it's much more open with many more people actually involved in the commentary, including the client, all too often. What's happening in those contexts is that expertise is being developed at a very early stage for an intern that's entering those settings. It doesn't matter what background they come from from their university degree, they're starting to be repositioned to think about how they use the knowledge, and often the work placement experience they've actually had through their universities in a new kind of way in that setting. Now, let's take a look at this. <coughs> this is how we visualised it, all right? Interns learning in a semi-open team. The blue circle represents the client, the yellow circles represent the team members, and the little dotted circle represents the intern. <coughs> and what we're trying to capture through the dynamic of the diagram is that the team is getting some kind of feedback from the client, but basically the intern will be working across what might be in an, in an interprofessional team quite a lot of different specialisms. So they'll be letting to see how specialists work with one another, argue as well with one another about how to move forward. They're not just working with their distinct specialisms. That's the key point. <coughs> so working for clients and semi-open professional teams, what we've actually noticed and talk to the interns about and then kind of in sense to triangulation talk to their line managers about the following issues. But to learn through an internship, it's really important that what interns do is use their individual and collective activity to see their own in relation to others' contributions. And that's a hard issue for many interns because basically in higher education what we're always telling is you look at yourself, it's your performance that counts, because that's what counts in the degree. But the internship is saying to them, yes, it is your performance, but it's how you perform when working with other people. And it's not just a teamwork issue, because it's actually about the deployment of their expertise. Sometimes they are told what to do, sometimes they're expected, but it's rather like the secret codes of the hidden curriculums of schools, the same workplaces. They're supposed to be proactive and negotiate something over and above what they've been given. Not always made clear to them. And if you're a little bit reluctant to do that because you tend to be quite naturally on the shy side of something, that's quite a sort of steep learning curve you have to come through. Using the, the allocated and negotiated contributions to either contribute to the face-to-face -face stuff, like called the TTT, or the online. So you imagine what the challenge must be if you're told as the intern, post the summary of the meeting for the other members of the team to read, which is the kind of task you might give an intern. And it's actually a really demanding task because you get the summary wrong, everybody sees you've got the summary wrong. Okay? And then you receive the comments coming back from that. And then other people might end up saying, in an extended online conversation, actually, it wasn't quite right to <laughs> So I make my point. But very importantly, then, <coughs> there will be jurisdictional disputes between the different kinds of experts that are contributing or the professionals have a lot to label to, to that work. 
And finally, seeing how the team leader mediates the feedback from the client to the team saying, well, this is an arm's length relationship where either kind of the client thinks we're doing well, the client thinks we're exceeding expectations. So that's built in, so it's a much more multifaceted notion of how to actually learn through an internship, or if we want to just rotate it quickly, linguistically, and say, up a workplace. Now let's take a look at the working for clients. As I described to begin with, <coughs> sorry, a few months ago, talking about receiving continuous feedback from the client. Now this is a rather different, and therefore it's a more intensive experience. It's not a judgment that they're better. Okay, that's not the point I'm making. I'm making the point that they're different from one another. Opportunities in open teams to use <coughs> the TTT model. Okay, to, to listen, to, to understand, to, to transmit information and to transfer information. Or the, <coughs> the, 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 the online, I'm going to called the RDA approach of actually uh, <coughs> posting, receiving information from posting and so forth. <coughs> but this time, the client is built into the loop. So you're not just posting to your team, you're posting to the client as well. Because the client is expecting to hear, or at least to be able to track or monitor how the team are progressing. Now that doesn't necessarily mean literally every communication, but it will mean some per day or per week, okay? probably negotiating uh, and agreed as to how. So the participation in and the observation of how that dynamic is working <coughs> in the team setting allows the intern to both show what they can do, see what they can't yet do, see whether this is actually where they want to go. Because as much as anything, it's about do you feel that working in this kind of way for the choice you've actually made at the moment, the, the occupational choice, which is, could be a professional service company, it could be a digital company, is it the right choice for you? There's still a point where the intern is looking in the mirror and saying, is this right for me? And conversely, the company is saying, are you right for us? And just as a sort of small footnote, I'm sure many people will know this, because professional service and banks tend to over-recruit. So actually, even when the internship's finished and someone's been offered a place, they tend to get two more years where they're almost still an intern, even though they've got full employment status, because the companies tend to shred workers uh, who they've taken on, graduates, about two years <coughs> down the line, because they actually then decided that some of them, although they look like they could make it, can't quite make it, which is a rather unpleasant you know, side of even full employment these days. <coughs> um, receiving feedback from client and team leader. So you're making your contribution as the intern, and what's happening is it's not just your team leader that's telling you, but the client might be actually giving you feedback as well on how well you or the people you're working with have actually done. And we've actually kind of visualised it in this kind of way. You know, the clients on the outside, again, blue circle, we've got the, um, the, the, the members of the team in the intern, but you can see the intensity of the dynamics is far greater there than the other setting. So it just means that it's a much more intensive learning experience. <coughs> because of the continuous feedback. <coughs> doesn't actually mean that the work isn't actually as intellectually and technically as, as, as more challenging one rather than just that the feedback processes are very different. So <coughs> for interns, uh, <coughs> without, I'll just kind of pick up some sort of general points. So for interns, in a sense, in the open teams, clearly what's happening is that they've got a whole set of <coughs> uh, opportunities to learn, which I've described there, which are kind of parallel to the other ones. But the main difference is that they're actually taking that feedback from clients on a regular basis, <coughs> seeing how other colleagues respond to the feedback, and then seeing how the arguments break out thereafter. 
because the argument can be, we told you not to do it like that, and this is what actually has happened as a result. So you get up uh, Now, because that's quite an important part if you're, if you're trying to learn how to kind of work with colleagues you know, in, in, on a team-based setting, is to see how they reconcile their, their kind of uh, uh, arguments and debates. And so what we, we summarise the outcomes from the internship in the following way, and really important point, interns develop sector-specific. And I think this is quite an important issue which I've been making this week to <coughs> UK CES, United Kingdom Commission for <coughs> Employment and Skills, that I saw on, on, on Wednesday, and um, <coughs> also um, to various other bodies. But we haven't quite got the language right. In, this is the policy language. We still tend to treat employability skills as though they're generic. And it may be, in all fairness, that's what IHE has to do. They can kind of contextualise them to a great extent, as I'm sure you're doing through your work placements. But actually, what ICE have been spotting for some time is that the actual companies are not recruiting on generic skills. They're recruiting on some evidence of, of actually sector-specific skills. And the big issue that I would say that is important that we've tried to flag up is, is about the issue of judgement. And you can't develop the judgment completely if you haven't worked in a team setting. You develop judgment in a particular kind of way from a work placement, but it's a much more circumscribed kind of version of judgment. It's only when you've actually taken that feedback from clients, seen other members of the team in conflict with one another, that you start to say, actually, this is how I have to think about the notion of judgment. It's not your personal judgment, it's mine in relation to how people might respond to the decision I'm actually making. Clearly the entrepreneurialism comes through in the team setting because what's becoming apparent is that the team are either trying to retain the contract or secure new contracts. So that's a really important point. And the other issue that comes through is the social capital development. But actually in all those, both those contexts, the finance and the creative, sorry, okay, for finance being banks and financial services, the, the, the use of networks to actually move forward yourself, but also to actually understand how the sector operates is extremely important. What we've said, because I'm not suggesting for one moment this is just absolutely plain sailing for an intern in those, uh, those two settings that I looked at a moment ago, but of course the extent of the, an intern's development is influenced by how far they can get to engage with, or how far they are allocated routine or novel contributions. Sometimes, of course, what will happen is they struggle to receive those kind of more exciting, more, more, more stretching contributions. Okay. The degree of openness and closure in the teams. And by that, I don't mean the, uh, within each team, whether they be the open team or the semi-open team, sometimes you'll get some team members who will be very close. We're not suggesting they're always going to be embracing. But that's part and parcel of the intern's learning experience. How do I work with somebody who's not actually giving me access to knowledge and information and opportunities, but I actually need that in order to be able to move forward with the tasks that I actually have? And finally, of course, as I said again, great feedback from clients. Now, I want to switch gear a bit now and talk about higher education and then come back to some kind of conclusions. Partially because that's obviously what this event is about, but also to try to show you the relationship between the research, the research we've done on internship and HE. <coughs> so I called the, 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 the presentation you know, implications for, for higher education work-based programmes. I think um, it's been acknowledged on several occasions already that um, it's a very diverse lexicon uh, about work placements in higher education. So I'm just trying to do a little snapshot here. If I've missed something, you'll have to forgive me. Sometimes people use the term work placement, work experience, or a sandwich course. 
the key issue, and this is from the biz and the asset documents, okay, is this, this is the new biz one, okay, it's a compulsory period of time spent at work during the degree. That's the critical issue about how I'm, I'm going to define it. But also I acknowledge work-based learning degrees, where they build degrees, and many of you, I'm sure, in the room are actually aware of this, but from the experiences of work, through learning contracts and so forth, okay, <coughs> there's a slightly different angle to the, the, the work-based element, okay. What I want to do is actually look at you net with you now two typologies that I've constructed with Anne <coughs> to look at <coughs> work-based courses in higher education to show you what I think they do and then to contrast what they do with what an internship does if it's purely on the company, detached from any edu higher education <coughs> uh, <coughs> framing, and then come to some conclusions. Now, the typology is based very simply on the criteria, type of work placement, purpose, arrangements for learning, example, and outcome, and uh, <coughs> where it's required by a profession like in architecture, where it's integrated in a firm by a profession like the creative sector or hospitality and retail, required because it's basically essential to the license for practice, okay? Or where it's partially integrated, something like business economics, where it's been a long-standing feature of a course, <coughs> but it's not actually directly required, okay? And what I've tried to show you are the purposes of the placements, the arrangements for learning, but I'm not going to go through all those. I'm going to focus on the outcomes, and then if people want to kind of come back with questions, then they can do so at that point in time. But you can see we have some shading and some differences in the outcomes that come from those three types of placements. The integrated one. What happens is students complete an assignment, but they do develop some profession-specific employability skills because they're actually working for companies in the professional or occupational area they intend to enter. And they gain their license to practice. <coughs> the integrated and affirmed by the professions, there's still material degree from a degree or an assignment, <coughs> but the employability skills are probably professional specific as well, but a bit more stretched because you might be going in very openly to, in hospitality and retail, any bit of the sector thinking that's where I want to work, but the final chosen area is rather different. Whereas, of course, if you're an architect or a pharmacist, the final bit of work you're doing as an architect or a pharmacist is probably fairly similar to actually what you saw on your placement. But for business economics, <coughs> you're doing the assignment again, but you're probably there getting, picking up professional relevant employability skills. Because if somebody's doing a business economics degree, depending upon the placement they've negotiated or what's been offered um, to them by the university, <coughs> What's actually happening as much as anything is it's about, as I chose the verb there, <coughs> um, <coughs> resource for... <coughs> sorry. <laughs> Revo a re uh, okay, try to move it a bit away from you. Move it away from you. Move the microphone away from you. Put that aside then. Yeah, thanks. Like that, great, okay. Um, it's about awareness raising. So you can see there's a, there's a, there are subtle differences between the parts that these different programmes play. To move on to the next slide, because I've got the workplace and I'm also putting the career service, because I recognise HE career services play an invaluable role in actually <coughs> offering student access to placements. <coughs> the work-based learning, um, the outcome, it's interesting if you look at the, the, work, the literature for work-based learning degrees, they tend to stress slightly more, not just the development of the capabilities of practitioners, but also as an actual researcher. 
<laughs> a lot of the literature actually sees that that's actually what the person, and all, for, and all things, I think probably people doing work and degrees are picking this up, because actually they go back to their workplace and they are investigating it. So they are, so there is a kind of research skill that's going on of a slightly different sort from somebody who's doing a placement where they have, an example in kind of medicine, where there's a competency framework. And what's got to be ticked off is whether somebody's done something or not. There's a rather different kind of modulation between the two kind of ways that a work-based learning degree in its full-blown version operates compared with something like um, the work experience of work-based medicine. And for the career services, what comes through clearly is very generic employability skills because what they're trying to draw to students' attention is that they should take the issue of work seriously and transition to work seriously. And they shouldn't remain completely focused on the degree. Now, I've got three conclusions. <coughs> the first one is, I've used the, and invoked the term expertise throughout, and I wanted to introduce this and talk to you about it, because I think it's part of the problem, often, with how we think about work placements in higher education. By what has come through from those two project diagrams is that we're rethinking expertise <coughs> in different ways. We're moving from something which is kind of very specific to the individual and one single professional occupation to having a more relational view of what it means to actually come in and use a work placement to develop or an internship as, as we looked at. And what that does is it reveals the limitations of the novice to expert notions of transition. Because the novice to expert assumes that you're only working with a single expert in your chosen field. That's the classic notion from Dreyfus and Dreyfus. But that's not, as you can see, an interprofessional team. And I'm not suggesting, by the way, that every single placement does this, but I have lots of wilderness that have elements of this. You're working with other people, not just your own profession. So for example, yesterday, sitting with colleagues in University College London in their medical school, and we're talking about designing an online um, <coughs> clinical supervision module, we had precisely this debate for experienced doctors and nurses. Do we design clinical supervision so we force people just down the track of their own uh, profession, or do we actually design it so that it actually lets them look not just at what they do, but how what they do is in relation to other people or other professionals who they're actually working with? So it's, these, are, these are not completely new issues. I'm not trying to suggest you're bringing something that's never been known or never been recognised before. What I'm trying to do is frame it in a different light and say that you can't use the novice and expert notions there as, as the basis of what the work experience is doing. You've got to think, of, think about that much more broadly. But it's very difficult to displace or dislodge a notion because it's so easy to use. Oh, it's the novice to expert. I do it. And so uh, when I'm not being reflexive about what I'm saying, it's a kind of a, <coughs> it's a folk notion. It's so embedded in the way that we think about how people move forward. So there's a cautionary note here. We need to think a little bit more deeply, all of us, at conceptual level, and also when you're doing the practical developments and design placements, so that you don't try and perpetuate that idea. So there's, there's more work needed. Okay? And I'm not claiming we did that through the project. We just saw that that's an issue. Now, <coughs> internships quite clearly contribute to the development of expertise. But that's because the company and the intern are solely focused on <coughs> developing the occupationally specific skills. This is, in contrast, work placements and work-based learning have a dual agenda. Material for degrees 
and the development of employability skills, and it may even be also in some cases obviously the license to practice. Now, the other year, doing a piece of work for the modernising uh, undergraduate pharmacy curriculum, I interviewed various focus groups of pharmacy students with my researcher. I interviewed people from pharmacy departments and from pharmacy companies. And the same story was told by all of them. And that is, it doesn't matter whether it's a university that's running a sandwich placement, as many do for pharmacy, whether they're running an, an end of pharmacy degree, year-long placement, the students gear themselves up simply to the degree. That's the primary concern. It's very difficult, even when they're on work placements, to think about the placement as the development of expertise. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It's the same thing that you tend to hear when you talk to architects, or, uh, <coughs> uh, 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 you know, student architects and so forth. What have I got to do? I've got the degree hurdle to leap. So the point I'm trying to make is that an internship positions an intern in a very different space compared with a work placement or a degree because it doesn't have the dual agenda. So what I'm trying to highlight then is the additionality that an internship offers, but I'm not making a critique of higher education in doing so. I'm actually saying that what we're doing in higher education is extremely important. Clearly you as a group are wanting to strengthen that and extend it and improve it in all kinds of ways, and that's extremely important. I'm really making a message to the policymakers. They cannot elide the experience of work with what we can accomplish in HE, because we're tied, and I'm tied by this, because I'm in HE as a teacher as well as a, as a, a researcher, okay, working with young people on different kinds of programs, <coughs> supporting, like that's with my colleagues in UCL, <coughs> graduates on, on programs. We're tied by the fact that ultimately the primary objective is to get the degree. And that must, kind of introduce some little bit of a kind of question in the, in the minds of the internal, uh, uh, sorry, in the, the, the student on work placement, is where, where the greatest kind of uh, responsibility in their learning lies. So, in conclusion, what we've started to argue is that policymakers have to think rather differently about how they treat higher education and what it does through work-based degrees and from work placements, and how it thinks about internships. And at the moment, I've called this a relational strategy. So what I'm encouraging people like UK, CES, and others to do is to create a framework that identifies the contribution that HE internships make to the Durham's expertise. Because if we can see what both parties do more clearly, then we can talk about the additionality of HE, by the way, as much as of what happens in work. But if we haven't got that framing, what happens is we're off, we are often treated deficient to by an employer because they say, well, you should have done this. And I'm saying sometimes it's an unrealistic expectation to go, you know, the student's got two, two primary concerns, to get their degree, to get the highest degree they possibly can. If they've got a work placement as well, and it's part of their degree, of course, but it's still, it's still kind of the backwash effect is the degree is the all-important part. That's how they look at the placement. How might they do this? Um, if they create a framework. I think we need to illustrate the sectoral specificity of the framework with case studies, highlighting the role of pedagogy in workplaces developing and uh, facilitating the development of expertise. I, I could have gone back to my diagram, sorry, I could go back to my diagram at this point to talk about the pedagogy that we observed and what we, what we had revealed to us and when it worked and it didn't work in those different kinds of teams. 
But that pedagogy will be the same pedagogy, whether it's working or it's not, that many of you will be encountering, not directly, because you'll only be hearing about it through your students when they come back from placements, where they say to you, this worked and this didn't work, this is because the employer did this or the team did that and so forth. So it's not that we have a common interest in revealing that pedagogy and saying, that's what develops the expertise. It's not just getting the placement. Many students will tell you, architectural students in particular, that some of the best companies they go to in the world, global players, often offer the worst placements. And they actually learn more in a less famous company because they're given more stretching remits. Okay? That's because the management culture in one is more expansive and more restrictive in the other. So we have to think about the cultural side of work when we're kind of looking at the articulation between what happens in higher education and what happens in workplaces. And finally, because some of you may be interested in uh, the issue of higher, uh, higher apprenticeships, because HE is involved with those in different kinds of ways, I think we also need to distinguish between what an internship does and what a higher apprenticeship does. And I don't think we've actually begun to think about that. <coughs> what we tend to do, I'm afraid, going back to my lexicon point, is we roll all these things into a kind of common pot and just say they're all doing the same work. And people tell us, oh, they're all doing the same thing. And my argument is actually they're not. They play very different parts, very important parts, and if we can't classic clarify those for ourselves and talk to policymakers in a more informed, kind of analytical way, we really can't establish what is good about what happens in aging, how it can be strengthened, but equally, so young people, what you might need to do after aging in order to be able to make that transition into employment. Thank you very much. Yeah, plenty of time for questions. Yeah. Anyone want to kick off? Jill. <laughs> Wash that carpet, Helen. <laughs> Nothing in there, like that. <laughs> what did you say? We're woven in shadows, silk. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm Jill Fajero from the University of Warwick, um, and I just want to check something out. Yeah. Um, so you're saying that um, they're different. Internships, as in non-accredited, non-assessed, yeah. not part of your degree, have something additional to offer. I remember, I'm using that term internship in that way. Yes. I do recognise that they're often using HE as well, okay, uh, to, to, for the work placement in some bits of HE, not yeah. all right, yeah. but it does happen, yeah. Um, and yes, at the top, you were talking about noticing that employers in the creative industries were treating <coughs> students on placement and unpaid interns in exactly the same way. Right. Okay. Then I didn't make my point clearly. Right. Well, no, 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 fair enough. Uh, let me explain that first. If you want, if it was another part of your question, I'll come back. What I'm saying is this, that the term internship is used in the media to cover the awful stuff and what I've described. And I'm actually saying we should reserve it for just what I've described. Something that is actually structured, advertised, and clearly part of a company's um, skill formation or expertise development program. And we should just say we've got to lose this term internship for all the unpaid, unstructured work experience. It's a complete mess <coughs> doing that. Okay, And it's a, big, it's a big argument to make, and I'm probably not going to succeed, but if we don't actually make a sharp analytical distinction between what you get out of an internship in the creative sector or actually in the professional service companies or in the banks compared with what's actually happening uh, for just kind of turning up, you know, to put something on your CV. But they're not comparable in any kind of way. That's the point I was trying to make. Okay, so employers, so from an employer's point of view, yeah. um, you're, are you suggesting they should 
they should treat their work, anyone who's working with them in order to learn as an intern or as a, yeah. um, a student on a programme with a placement element, they should treat them the same. Um, I would make that argument, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, what you'd find is if you go, you know, I invite you to go and look at the biggest banks you can think of, professional service companies you can think of, and the biggest companies in the, in the creative sector, you'll find internships advertised quite transparently on their websites. There's a recruitment process, and they're paid. Mm. Okay? And they say they're actually about helping somebody move directly into the industry. So they're a world away from where somebody has either personally lobbied for or the family's found or something. But, but in, in, what I'm saying is that <clears throat> you, the, with the companies that are those kinds of companies, they're probably in all fairness also offering work placements to universities in relation to particular high degrees. And I think when you look and you talk to the heads of HR, you talk to the team managers, what they'll tell you is they don't make a distinction between the intern and the HE, the HE student. The difference is, this is what I'm trying to root out, that actually for the, the student or the intern, they bring the difference because they've got a different preoccupation. One is, I've got to do this because it's part of my degree. The other one is because even if they're still doing the degree, right, I haven't got to go back and talk about this. I'm just going to throw myself into my six-week summer placement because actually I want to get to work for this company. So there's, it's that kind of angle I'm trying to pull out. So, um, Etta? Um, Etta Parks, I'm head of placements at Aston University. Um, our remit my remit is very much the year-long placement. Yeah. One of the things that I think a number of institutions we're looking at is should we capture more formally the internships that students are right. are doing and put in our mind help them get more learning from that <coughs> by putting some academic requirement around that. What you're suggesting is that could be counterproductive because then we're trying <laughs> to make it the same as the placement and the two things could have very different value with different outcomes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I am saying that. Um, I also recognise, however, that there's quite a push coming from Europe, uh, from the European Union, to do just that. So you're, you're, you're not, um, uh, you know, what you just <coughs> described, uh, some which really specific to Aston, is actually part and parcel of a wider European Union and the, the, the policy discourse of the development of the moment. Um, and it may well be that universities are required by the UK government for getting the European Union mm. to do that. What I'm saying is, um, and this is not a critique of HE, employers will not take any notice of that. They will still go back and look at what have I seen the person done, do. Now, one of the things you can see more clearly with the creative sector, because of the nature of work, than the banking or the professional service sector, is that what young people do is they create their own websites. And they populate them with what they've done or what they've contributed to. So in a sense, they've got a way of framing their CV through the use of social media. That, because it's a lot more visual, okay, so they can represent it and say, I worked on that site in the Science Museum. This is what I did. Here's the testimonial from the person, etc. Now, we could, and I still think it was a useful thing to do, by the way, if in HE we say to somebody, then what did you learn from that? We're helping them surface what they learned. But, so it's still, it would, be a, it would be a progressive development. I wouldn't argue against it. But what I'm trying to say is, let's not, let's not assume that we can read off that if that happens, the employer will take that as the learning. They won't want the account from the young person, okay, in terms of what they did. 
<coughs> and they'll look at what they did. So there's, there's a fine line, it's very intriguing, that kind of uh, 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 line as well. But, uh, <coughs> but yeah, that, that's what I think would happen. But the, the point that you made about the students' perspective when they arrive on that placement, mm. they're being driven by, I think, is really, a really interesting point. Really okay, I'm Martha Cadell from York University and from the First Sector Internships Scotland program. Right. Um, two, two brief points, I think. Um, firstly, around the employer and the students' perceptions of the difference between placements and internships yeah. and different types of placements. Right. And I think yeah. it's really important to get to some of the granularity around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also some of the very practical implications of that, too. So um, employers who say, well, my work placement, I will give this amount of responsibility to someone, but I'll give access to these databases and to, to a greater degree of responsibility because the intern is a paid employee and I have a different, it's a different relationship that I have with them compared to being a student. And similarly, students' different experiences of, of that um, relationship as well in terms of the responsibility that they have. So I'd be interested to hear a bit more about yeah, sure. of that. Okay. Just, um, very, but the oh, second point, yeah, so sure. just very quickly, is around that relationship between the, the novice to expert transition and how particularly a bit in, in terms of working with the SMEs that you were working with. Um, the employer is not going to, an SME employer is not necessarily going to take on someone uh, to to inculcate them with all the skills, but we'll be wanting someone who has skills already um, coming in as an intern. Um, and so it's that relationship of the, the intern coming in with a skill and, and expertise, which they are then able to contribute to the organisation, but then also build their work experience and the, the contextual um, understanding that, that you were talking about. So, okay. so maybe that, again... Right, no, they're both really Let me deal with the second one first, okay. and then I'll come back to the, 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 the first question. Um, the, what I haven't referred to was the work we did looking at the interns in the SMEs. I've only ever, I've, I've really put the focus on in the creative sector, the big companies. Now, I, I don't know whether this is just what comes from our research and compared with you know, the experiences that you're having, because I appreciate we're both doing outreach work to kind of get a sense of what SMEs are doing and how they're responding. But I don't quite recognize that characterization of, of the SMEs that we've looked at. What the SMEs were doing was basically saying that um, <coughs> they want, often, let me start from this position, they don't, some SMEs advertise their internships. There's a company in London, if you want to Google them, called uh, uh, Internship, E-N-T-E-R-N-S-H-I-P, who actually act as a broker for a lot of the creative sector. Okay? <coughs> you may have already come across some smiles on your faces, okay? <coughs> and you probably know that they offer a lot of unpaid placements. Yeah. So, you, okay, <laughs> I know that as well, okay. <laughs> well, I have talked to their interns, okay, <coughs> and to Raj, who runs it and everything. <coughs> um, so there, you, you've got Companies using a brokering agency to advertise an internship, and what they're doing is they're saying, "Will the person come with something?" But they're also expect also accepting that they will develop. So it's not quite as close as they've got to have it. You know, it's not like that chicken and egg issue. If they haven't got it, they can't move forward. There's a little bit of development in there, yeah, for sure. In addition, interns or prospective interns 
in London, I can only talk about London, actually I can talk about Manchester, because we actually looked at Manchester as well, but it's a much small, small scale around Media City. They pitch for the internship. In other words, they pester a company. Will you give me the opportunity to do? This is what I have done. Okay. And a lot of internships are actually opened up in the creative sector in that kind of way. And what they're then doing is almost the same thing <coughs> that's happening with the internship. And that is the SME is taking a look at what they're claiming they can offer them based on what they've done or what they're prepared to do. So I think it's, it's a comp, I think that's the creative sector is therefore different from banking or um, professional service companies. Um, at an event at the Institute of Education the other day, um, I had kind of uh, presenting some of this work, uh, but with a slightly different angle. And um, Matthew Harrison from the Royal <coughs> Academy of Engineering said, well, of course, there's no way an intern can play as an engineer if they're not working for an engineering company for the obvious reasons. You know, you, you need the resources which only the company can have. Whereas uh, Andrew Cooper from Media City Salford said completely the opposite. Well, actually, digital resources, lots of people get hold of these days. So they, people can do an awful lot for themselves. Okay. So we've got to take a look at the fact that there are some really important sectoral differences. And we need to be aware of that, because many of you will be running across all these different kind of programs in higher education. And some, some of your students will be able to do a lot of scaffolding for themselves, and some of them won't. They'll actually rely on the placements. And that, so you know, that's a, that, that gives an unevenness. It's not an unfairness. It's just a recognition that you can't possibly replicate in your back garden the resources of an engineering company. But you can in your shed put your, you know, your PC or your Mac in and do a heck of a lot of, of, of stuff with other people online. So I think, there's, I think it's a little bit more, it, it, it may vary, but I mean, it's, it's a tricky issue. The, the, now, the, 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 I do recognise the account, though, that you offered about the, um, some companies limit in the way you described what an intern may get access to, what some of the workplace will get access to. I'm putting the emphasis on when they're working in a team context. So I'm not suggesting my analysis is definitive and exhaustive. It's held by that frame. In a team context, it's very difficult to introduce that criterion that you mentioned because the team has access. It's open access, yes? Where it's when people are in a more conventional setting. So imagine the SARHE building, and let's just pretend they have an intern, okay, and they have somebody on work placement. And one person is working with Francois on planning the conference, and they can be given access to the database, and somebody else is actually working on promotion. And they don't have to have access to the database. Because the division of labour there <coughs> functionally positions them to do very different things. <coughs> but if, but if, and I don't know how SRHE operates, <laughs> but if they were all in a common team where all those resources were shared on an intranet internally, it'd be very difficult to start to say you can have access to this and you can't have access to that. Because basically, if even if you haven't got it on your PC, <laughs> you can see it on somebody else's. And they may be talking to you about sharing of the work. So it's it's Coming back to your point of the question, yes, sometimes it will be framed, but I'm not sure it's always going to be framed because of the role of the, or the distinction between an intern and someone on work placement. I think it's, it comes back to how is work organised, and that's what influences how companies will determine what somebody gets access to. It's not the label that we put upon the person who's moving into the company. Okay, one well at the back. And then Avril, and I think Richard wants to ask, do you, do you mind these questions? I'm, I'm very happy coming? to ask questions, so okay. no, no, sure. Yes, yes please. 
Yes. Oh, um, I'm Brenda Little, so I worked for years in HE and placements, did a lot of research and workplace learning. Also have a personal interest, like yourself, uh, David, in terms of um, uh, children. Yes. Get into. Right. The creative. Um, just a couple of comments, really, on, on the kind of policy and policy makers. I think there's a kind of danger, definitely with this lexicon and understanding what the words really mean, that small employers particularly maybe in the creative area, yeah. where there's not a lot of money, um, will jump on or will use particular government initiatives to bring in extra employees, albeit not under the kind of very um, valuable sort of conditions that you're putting out there for internships, say, or the personal development. So in a sense that uh, very small businesses, you know, 10 people or less, looking to get extra human resource into their business uh, may well uh, adopt the language or the scheme to get an apprentice or intern but without really um, following it through fully in terms of how that person is then used particularly let's say and i'm not going to go into but let's say on on paying conditions and um, you know I, I think many of us yeah. might have seen that firsthand so i think there's a um, I would wholeheartedly agree, you know, policy makers and understanding the differences, but under, maybe also understanding the realities in certain sure. sectors and small businesses, that they're just looking for ways of getting people in, mm -hmm. which isn't then a drain on their yeah. payroll. Right. And, um, no, it's, it's a really important point, uh, um, for two reasons. One, what I discovered talking to the banks and professional service companies is that the reason they don't have that problem is because basically, because the companies are so large, they top slice the profits and they pay for the internship scheme, which is through the human resource development department. The wages doesn't come out of the, actually the project team. It's an additional yes. financial input to the project team. Of course they can financially cushion because of the, the level of profits. Okay. And therefore, they can, to some extent, under their corporate social responsibility agenda, say, look, we are being good citizens. And at one level, I'm not being facetious, they are, but also they're playing it very cleverly <laughs> because they're positioning themselves, you know, because of what they've actually got to, as a big financial resource to do so. I do recognise what you're describing, Brendan, certainly. <coughs> what I can say is that there's two things. First of all, if you look on the Creative Skillset website, where they're currently advertising the traineeships to try to get more work placements in the creative sector from the SMEs, what Creative Skillset is trying to do is actually have a conversation with the sector, uh, and it's got quite good links with this sector. It's probably one of the few sector skills councils that actually does have really good links with this sector, and a lot of them have waned, as you probably know. But they're trying to effectively say there's a deal that needs to be struck, okay, uh, <clears throat> to avoid what you're describing. And they've got a policy statement um, which has been endorsed because um, uh, uh, I was at the launch event back in. Um, in June by Vince Cable that says to the sector uh, there should be wages paid, the minimum wage should be paid, it shouldn't be unpaid, um, uh, uh, an internship and so forth. So they're trying as best as they can. Will they get through to every employee, employer? Absolutely not. I know they won't. <coughs> but, but, but I think all we can do is take up the, the fact that actually on an internship the public pressure to try to raise the uh, and get attention away from the exploitative aspect of that label and into something akin to what I'm describing as something which is actually building expertise. There's further work needs to be given to that, but that's where the momentum should be. It should be strengthening what's good and celebrating it and actually not always allowing the, the bad stuff to kind of 
deflect our attention from that, we can actually make better models and better progress. So I think that's absolutely. The other, the second point I'm unrelated really, but I know from work that we did with Asset actually some years ago on placement students and what students got out of it, um, came, I mean as well as the skills and all of that, was a lot about career formation. Yeah. And, and knowing, right, this, this actually isn't for me, or this sector is for me, but not this type of work, not this client facing, I'm happy doing this, or vice versa. And that I was agree. A, a very strong element coming through from the placement, uh, which I don't know whether whether that's the difference within internship where people maybe already identify. No, I, th I would say not. I, I completely agree with you about the placements because actually, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm trying to indicate with like my career as you know, starting with kids, quite frankly, telling me they wanted to work for a bank. Mm. You know, when they were 16, you know, when they could still be recruited in 1989 into banks at 16, which they can't now for various reasons. You know, we're recognising that actually they didn't like the cultural conformity in the bank. What they really wanted was the salary and the security. So they actually have to go and find what they did want to do, you know, through to students telling me the things. I do recognise that, but I also recognise from my own two daughters that they found their careers by actually doing a mix of paid and unpaid internships, and it is and work placements. And uh, they, we, we, I know all of you in this room probably totally accept Brenda's point, but what's lost in the discourse about work placements is that they do help people find their career direction. The assumption is you've got the placement, you go to work through it. And actually, yes, you do, but most of always go to the work where you appear to be geared up to go. You can say, actually, this is not for me. And actually, so I think that's a really important part that we have to kind of keep open. It is part of the, the, the undergraduate or the postgraduate, if they're doing the work placement, it's part of their development while they're in higher education. And we need to really acknowledge that and pull that out more. Uh, yeah, uh, first of all, just wanted to make a comment really yeah. about terminology, because um, within this area, there are multiple understandings of uh, terminology. Yes. It is, it's a nightmare, really. So I think we need to be very careful about introducing new meanings of a particular name of a term. And um, within internship, for example, we've also got a global perspective because it's used differently in North America, where it tends to really come from. But, um, That's French. Well, OK. <laughs> going right back to it. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, in terms of actual day-to-day um, -day working use at the moment. Um, so there's that. And then um, with regard to your uh, typology of work placements, <coughs> yeah. um, you were talking about different degrees of involvement of the profession. So um, I wondered, with your model of internships, how you um, are working with professional bodies and their requirements and if there aren't requirements, how are you actually working perhaps to get them on board to recognise the value of the placements and so on? Right. Um, um, to be quite honest, we didn't have that as a feature actually of the internship research. We, you know, right. we were looking actually at the, uh, the in effect, the, 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 what, what are the learning processes and how do interns learn through and what do they learn through that? Okay. Um, it's, it's a very interesting question you raised actually because I've noticed from other bits of my research that the professional bodies uh, they're taking quite a low profile in the main on the issue of internships 
Um, there is a, uh, there's a body which you, uh, uh, you may have come across called the Professions for the Good, who are trying to kind of, they're kind of, they spread across, range across rather, a bunch of professions, who are trying to kind of make the argument in general. But the, but the professional, the professional bodies and professional associations, well, they, they, they kind of, they've not actually been to the forefront of commenting uh, uh, into the public policy kind of debate about internships. There's, there's almost been a silence there. You can see that CIPD have, you can see, you know, and various other uh, kind of campaigning bodies like the uh, National Union of Students and so forth. But actually, pressure, the pressure bodies have, have been a little bit reluctant to kind of uh, put their head above the parapet. I hadn't thought about that until you put the question to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's just another thing I, I wanted to mention as well. That's um, if um, you're working with disciplines that largely found employment in the public sector mm. um, to get um, your model of an internship that's paid is actually very difficult. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, I, um, yes, I agree with you. It, it, it is actually. The, in fact, the, it, the, it, it's one of the ironies that the public sector does actually struggle because of the cash constraints, because what it can't do in the way as described just a few minutes ago in the Brenda's question, it, it can't actually take out of its operating profits the resource to put in to fund the internship. And so there is, a, there is an issue, absolutely, with some of the public sector. I agree. And we're trying to pull that out a little bit. Um, it, that became clear, because we looked at the private sector, but actually that became clear as we started to move around. So yes, it's a really helpful observation. That, you know, and that, that needs to be thought about as a, as a policy implication, and you know, what happens you know, for, for, for other sectors. Yeah, OK, that's very helpful. Thank you. Can I? Yes, OK. My, my question relates to. Um, it's a question come commonly to a number of the points that have been raised. Mm. Um, I think in your typology, there might be an unintegrated as well as a partially integrated model. Right, okay. And the unintegrated model is the student who just turns up and just turns up and, yes, if you go back to that yeah. workplace, mm. who just turns up, right? Right. Um, turns up and does all, turns up and does an internship. And I relate this to the, to the question from your colleague at Aston and to Brenda's comments in the back about SMEs, because we certainly have, I think, parts of disciplines across a number of universities which have got the employability message but feel their curriculum is so full mm. and so precious they can't possibly yeah. have a proper work placement in it. Yeah. And so they do well-intended things, like they tell the students to go and get ah, an yes, internship okay. over really the summer. Yes, 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 and yes. a proportion of them go off and do this. Yeah but not all of them are successful. No. Now, what sort of experience they have and what proportion of those are good internships, as it were, and what yeah. sort of proportion are of the type that Brenda was describing, and SMEs who just want to pair of hands, I don't know. No. But I'm very uncomfortable about it. There's also an access point, of course. We have, there's a proportion of our students who actually can't afford to work for free, which is effectively no. what you're doing. So I've tried to, to deal with that by, by, by getting it in the curriculum. Yeah. By encouraging people to bring it into the curriculum and turn it into yeah. a work placement that's mm. assessed. Because mm. then at least you can wrap some quality sure. you know, through the academic process around it. But the dilemma seems to be here, and your answer to the question over here would be, that actually distorts the nature of a good internship. On the other hand, I would say it maybe protects, it makes things more inclusive, and it protects. Yeah, I, 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 sure, that's a really good point um, at the end, a really good question. Um, 
the typology, you're right, wouldn't have engaged with that because actually I wasn't thinking that kind of way. So I'm really grateful for the, for the observation. I can see how that does need to be uh, taken. That, that, that there's another element <coughs> that needs to be partially stroked, as you said, not into it. So I can see how we need, I need to do a bit more work there. So that's, that, thanks ever so much for that observation, Richard. Um, um, and um, <coughs> I probably would. If I was going back, if I was answering your question in relation to the question from Lady from Aston, I'd probably say, actually, there's a bit of modulation in how I'd kind of pre present the answer to you. Because I think what I would say, without trying to repeat everything, is something like that um, <coughs> the student, although, because it wasn't part of the course, because they did it outside, in a sense they are ear, uh, edging closer to what I've described, but they, they recognise they're still supposed to do some feedback into the course. Okay, but it's still freed up. It's not held or influenced in any kind of way by the fact that it's, it's an accredited or, uh, part of their learning. So I think the, the broad part of my argument would still stand. As regards the access issues, of course, the access issues are, 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 are critical. Um, one of I had an obvious um, 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 kind of a good discussion at conference when I presented this research not half committee with a colleague of mine from from, from Sterling, Robert Canning. Um, and his point about this was that um, what will happen <coughs> is that the students, if they're going to work for free, aren't working for free. They've actually done some other work to get the money to work for free. And he, what he was, he was saying was actually, and if you'll notice in the pack, in when I sent it to you, that I gave some of the case studies, they kind of, you, you can see that what they'll do is they'll say, we want to get in there. We recognise when we're going to get in there is this is for unpaid internships, not for unsubscribing. Okay, but um, what the unpaid internships? What we'll do is we'll do some other kind of work, call it working for McDonald's, and then we'll do two days a week or whatever. But where it works for the creative sector, the creative sector is very different from many other sectors. Basically, is because a lot of work in the creative sector can be picked up in that very fragmented. <coughs> and I can make three days contribution over the next three weeks. Okay. Whereas actually, you couldn't do that if you're working for a professional service company as an intern. Even they would give, give you access in some kind of way. So there, there, there are some kind of sectoral distinctive features that actually won't run everywhere. I think right across the economy. And certainly, the, the point from Apple about the the public sector, there's no way the public sector would be able to take somebody in on that kind of basis. So, but, um, but uh, I mean, but yeah, they're, they're really helpful observations. I mean, it's, uh, if you don't actually, I think myself, is, you don't kind of, kind of make the picture a little bit complex to unpick it, you can't actually have an argument with a policymaker because they're, they understandably have to operate with kind of fairly simple kind of principles because they want to kind of show they can do something to make a difference. But if, and if we don't actually help them kind of operate with a better understanding in order to make the difference, then we can hardly complain if they veer off in, a, in another direction and it's, you know, it's not quite to, to, to what we're looking for. Can I end by asking a question? Yeah, by Chairs, chairs privilege. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, going back to your um, model of um, a collaborative team yeah. approach of an internship that I suppose a lot of us haven't thought about before. I'm thinking about how you then use the internship placement when you go back into the same final year study. And given that um, okay. a lot of students don't like group work, yeah. and we say to them, you do group work because it's good for you, because it helps you get a job, and you're sure. but they still don't like it. I, I'm wondering whether we're missing a trick on 
using what they've learnt, looking at their, their placement, their internship, yeah, bringing that out more strongly. <coughs> I mean, a, a story, and then kind of answer the. I mean, I'm very familiar with that from doing group work with, you know, undergraduates, postgraduates. Like, no, <laughs> don't like this. You know, you, you, you've all been there. You know what it's actually like sometimes. <coughs> but um, so, one of the things that we actually learned from back in secondary school, when young people went actually out on the workplaces, was actually that it was really important to get them to kind of have a plenary session where they fed back what they'd learned. And what we kind of heard from them, these are like the mid-60-year-olds, was actually, they quite liked all this kind of, would have been teamwork or whatever, you know, because they actually quite like talking to other people and everything else. So I kind of think it's about how we in reintegrate the students when they've been on those placements back into the, into the higher, into higher education. So if we start by saying, tell us what you learned, what helped, and does it have any contribution and any kind of role to play to your degree, we might want to tease out of them that actually some group work is rather important. Okay. And then they can think again about the group work. Uh, so the, 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 there's, there's, that's the practical kind of thought about how to tap it. The, the, the conceptual issue are, are, is that what, what people designing placements, if they do find um, that the argument that's contained in this and the other diagram about how, whether because this could equally be true for somebody on a work placement as much as on an internship, I, and I'm recognising that. But, I mean, you may want to say to yourself, okay, what we want to do is we want to actually give a bigger frame for how we ask the students to feed back to us what they've learned from the work placement. Maybe you're operating with too narrow a frame of reference in relation to what's actually happening out there. And, and maybe you want to kind of rethink the way in which you get them, not just the feedback kind of experientially, but also how you get them to record. So by having a different model of what the workplace placement setting was like, opens up more options for you in, in, in terms of kind of curriculum and pedagogy, to actually, and even assessment for that matter, to kind of engage with them. So that's, that, that would be my thought, yeah. Because I think these things run both ways. I don't think they're kind of <laughs> just running one, in one, one direction, yeah. I think we've worked you very hard. No, not at all. Thank, thank, you, thank you very much. And I, I see a lot of people scribbling down and thinking that cogs going about how they're going to take this back into their practice. Um, and I, I think, David, you're going to stay with us just for the start yeah, of lunch sure. and then you've got to go back and around the corner yeah, and do, uh, do, yeah, do, do the day job. Alan, he says, you know, was this in Bristol or Birmingham? Because <laughs> 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 my place is a five-minute walk, the lure of what's on the email, and they overrides. Um, I brought um, Helen a copy of this, which is the internship pack. What I would send it to SRHE is the PDF. It's free. Okay, you can download it. You can use it in any kind of way. There's no copyright on it. If anybody actually wants a physical copy, they just send me an email. I'm very happy to put one in the post to them. But actually, uh, some of you may just prefer to have this. Um, because if you want to post copy things like that, it's a lot easier to do it from this than it is actually from the, from the PDF. Because you'll know what will happen is you'll be a, a wonky printer. This is actually very clean. Thank you very Not much. Not at all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.